This week's episode of the Hewlett Packard Labs podcast from Research to Reality. Uh, I have a great pleasure and honor to host uh, Martina. Hi, Dayan. Thanks for having me. Martina, I was thinking perhaps we can take off these uh, masks. What do you think? But uh, I, think I think we, we need should... to really check and make we sure we have good social distancing. So let's absolutely uh, let's uh, have. And it's also important to have redundancy whenever you have a measurement. I'm at six feet here. Okay. Six. Let's go. Good. All right. Here we go. Remember, everyone, wearing a mask is the best way to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Thanks, Martina. Uh, besides this honor to have you back here, uh, there are some other important facts. You started this podcast. That's right. And uh, so it's great to have you here. Thanks. And then the lady behind the camera uh, used to record this podcast in the past. So uh, it's an amazing opportunity to have you back. I'm delighted. And this is the first time we're doing it uh, for real. Uh, so far, I'm sick of the Zooms. So with that, we got our six feet. We, we got the good social distancing. And it's actually really interesting that you get to flip the tables around on me since I used to have you on the podcast before. So it's, uh, it's your turn now. You get to ask me everything that you wanted to ask before and maybe take a little revenge too. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I got a long list here. <laughs> so you have uh, reached the point in career where you executive in marketing and communications. Can you explain to us, especially for those young engineers who don't know what it means? Can you tell us about your work? Sure. Well, um, marketing communications is really just about storytelling, I think, mm -hmm. at the most basic level. And I think that's something that a lot of technologists don't often think about um, when they're thinking about the work that they're doing, but it's actually a pretty fundamental part of everything that you do in tech, if you think about it. Whenever you are doing some incredible work and you are thinking about publishing your work in a paper, that's a written communication. If you think about doing a presentation, if you're doing that at a conference, you're obviously going to be have to present your work in its best light. But as your career goes on, you may find yourself inside the corporate world or even in universities and academia having to really present and pitch the work that you're doing in your ideas and get buy-in so that you can have a bigger impact and you can influence the community and really all of that is about marketing yourself marketing your work and it's about communication skills so it's something that i think that's a little underappreciated in in the technology field but it's actually really important and if you think about it it's a huge part of our daily lives mm -hmm. because more and more the reality is is that the brands that we're used to have become a really important part of our lives and that's i think when you see the impact of marketing communications so everything from an advertisement you might see you know on your twitter feed to something that you see on the side of a bus and when you read a press release about somebody that did something amazing those are all examples of great marketing and communications interesting uh but you didn't become uh executive just like that you have nope. a path so can you tell us about your path well it's interesting because i like to say that i became a marketer by accident uh, i'm someone that uh didn't actually start out going towards the marketing communications field mm -hmm. I started actually 2004, many years ago when you and I met in HP, uh, I started in university relations. So university relations at the time was really kind of a matchmaking service. Think of it before we had Tinder, 
we had actual humans who were trying to matchmake. And what we were really trying to do was find university professors and students who were doing interesting work and matching up with researchers that were at HP Labs who were doing work that needed some basic research and they needed to do some, some projects together. So I used to manage the Latin America region. It was really a fun experience for me. And from there, I got to learn a lot about the projects that we had going on and I moved into strategy. Mm -hmm. And in strategy, I got to look at the portfolio across everything that we had in labs. And I thought, boy, there's some really cool stuff we're doing. Boy, somebody should talk about this. And nobody really was. And so that became me. I just started doing it. And from there, it actually grew into this pretty awesome team mm -hmm. that um, that labs then you know, really kind of brought the innovation story to life for HP and then for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And so that's kind of what, what led me on the, the journey. And then I think what I think has been really interesting for me, I've always been in tech. I love it. I love to talk to engineers. My whole family is full of engineers. And so for me, the best part has always been to understand what everyone is working on inside the mm -hmm. lab and in R&D and then translate that so that everybody else can understand what's going on and kind of get a real inside look at what the cool stuff is that's happening. Very insightful. So when you, um, when you and I spoke a little bit about in preparation for this meeting, you told me about the importance of transparency in communication. Uh, can you tell us more about it? I think this 2020 has been such an interesting year to help us really realize mm -hmm. what is trustworthy, what is information that is uh, useful and informative. And I think we really realized that brands and companies and their executives, by extension, really have both an opportunity and a responsibility mm -hmm. for that radical transparency. And I think when we really look around us, and I think there is this continued sort of lack of clarity in the information from many of the sources that we would have kind of traditionally associated with sort of very clear direction, I think that is why brands and companies have had this opportunity and again, the responsibility to kind of step up and say, hey, we're gonna be here. We're gonna provide a clear perspective. We're gonna let our employees, our customers and our partners know what they need to know to stay safe, to stay informed, to stay engaged. And I think that's what radical transparency is about first and foremost. I think the flip side of it that's also equally, if not more important, is about the transparency in the message that you give. And leaders, I think in particular, really kind of across you know every level of leadership, whether you're a manager with a few employees mm -hmm. or you're running your CEO of a major corporation, being transparent with your employees, with your customers or your partners, means that you're giving them the information that you have. You can admit when you don't always have everything that it might be changing, but you're giving them that confidence that you are being straight with them. And that vulnerability to actually show up and really give them the information that way has created a real sense of trust, I think, in employees and partners that we just hadn't seen before in brands. And we were seeing that through the COVID-19 pandemic, but I think you've also seen it happen a really interesting way in some of the responses to the social justice movements that have been happening in the United States as well this year. So it's, I think it's a fascinating opportunity for people to really step up and, and people are really responding to it. Very interesting parallel with uh, everything else that is happening. Um, so how do you communicate with employees and, and what is the difference when you communicate internally versus externally, for example, with partners, customers, etc.? I mean, there's obviously, you know, the major differences. You have certain things that will always be confidential and inside the company. Mm -hmm. But I think it is really critical to minimize what things are actually different. 
um, and make sure that you are providing that transparency. And the other thing that I would say is that goes along again with that notion of radical transparency is, is that employees can smell the BS yeah. a mile away. And so trying to put sort of rosy colored glasses on things or trying to sort of spin things too much, I just think is a recipe for disaster. I think you need to treat employees like grownups because mm -hmm. that's what they are. Your team members are a fundamental part of your team. And that means really communicating with clarity to them, letting them know why you might be telling them something, even if the news is not great news, mm -hmm. not trying to kind of spin it. I think employees really value that. They respect it. They might not like the message, but they're going to be able to understand it. And they're going to be able to get on board with it in a way that they might not if you are, they feel like you're trying to pull a fast one on them. I think that extends all the way out to customers and partners too, if you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. That ability to feel confident in what you're hearing from someone that's working with you really has a lot to do with how you then continue that interaction and how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. So are you using any special tools, mechanisms, processes, how does it happen? How does communication happen? I mean, certainly I think when you look at marketing communications, advertising and media in particular, mm -hmm. the field is so different than what it was, you know, 10 or even 15 years ago. The, the science of marketing is something that has really come along and you really can't do marketing today without digital. Mm -hmm. you know, being a fundamental part of your strategy. It really has to be the centerpiece of your strategy. Everything, you know, we know everything from advertising on social media, uh, you know, display advertising all over the internet. There's all sorts of, you know, great technologies for that. And, you know, billion dollar businesses are built on that. But ultimately I would say sort of the specific tools don't really matter. It's about the content. Mm -hmm. The content has to be exciting. It has to be compelling. It has to be differentiated and it has to be authentic to your brand. And that's where it always comes back to what I said about storytelling, which is what is the story that you are actually trying to tell about your brand, about your product, about your technology? Starting with that and staying faithful to that, I think is the most important thing. And then you really have to think about what does your audience want to know about it? Thinking about your audience, thinking about telling them the story mm -hmm. is going to take you light years further ahead than really thinking about, you know, oh, what's the message that I need to get in there? Do I need to say the, the right brand word in the first 15 seconds of the ad? Those are things that will come together if you have a great story. What kind of uh, difference has social media made compared to the traditional marketing and communication? Well, if you think about traditionally when we were mm -hmm. doing kind of classic advertising, it was all about essentially display and one-way one communication, right? Mm -hmm. So if we had an advertisement in a magazine, it was about how did that advertisement look, the font, the pictures, the placement, the message, but ultimately it was a one-way communication to people. And you know, social media has completely transformed that because now it's a two-way dialogue. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating about it is the conversations that you have with people are really different depending on what channel you're on. And so you'll have a very different set of conversations with different people on Twitter and different interactions as a brand than you might have on Facebook. Different images work really well. So for example, we've found as marketers that you tend to see folks do a lot. They really like a lot of posts when their company posts something about something about an employee, when they show pictures of their sites, mm -hmm. when there's a lot of sort of company pride, those things go really well on Facebook. On Twitter, you tend to see a lot more people who are engaged kind of in a conversation and about mm -hmm. a trending topic. And then LinkedIn, you tend to see people who are essentially trying to look smart for their network. So they're looking for some interesting sound bites or tidbits or articles that they can share that actually show that they also have some thought leadership and they're kind of showing to their network that they know what they're talking about. It's a great observation that social media is really two-way or if you will, multi-way communication. Absolutely. Uh, that's the reason I like posters because 
you know, there's a guy presenting posters, then two guys come and actually started talking between them uh, with leaving the poor guy uh, all alone. But that's, that's, that's the great benefit. Can you give us some tips uh, how to do better social media? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the most important thing, I said it before, the content's really important and it's also really important to be authentic. Yeah. So if you're going to try to say something on social just because you think there's a trending hashtag of the day and you're gonna just jump mm -hmm. in on that, don't do that unless you have something really relevant to say. At the same time, if you do have something relevant to say, it's a great opportunity to insert yourself into that conversation. Because mm -hmm. if there's a conversation that's being had around, let's say a conference that's talking about AI, and that's something where you wanna position yourself in there, and you have something that's great to say and an insight to share, that's a great opportunity to get in there. It's authentic, it comes with credibility, and it doesn't feel like it's fake. So hashtag authentic. Why not? It goes back to it, radical transparency. Yeah, exactly. It's all tied back together. Um, I just happen to know that you have some roots in Argentina. You lived on the East Coast. You live in Puerto Rico. That's you've been right. around. You've been representing the whole of uh, South America and Central America. So tell us, what have you observed in terms of uh, cultural differences among the people? It's interesting because I, I always used to joke around my, my family being from Argentina, we're in Latin America, we're, we're sort of very gregarious and outgoing. And, you know, when we greet each other at, at the minimum, it's a hug, right? Mm, so yeah. we, we would probably kiss on the cheek to say hello. And so for me, a downgrade is a hug. Mm. And of course, I had to realize when I started working with engineers that a lot of engineers are not necessarily comfortable with that. Uh, so I had to downgrade from a hug to maybe a handshake or just a hello. Uh, there's things that you do. A virtual hug. A virtual hug these days is, is, is one of the best things we can give each other to keep each other safe but um, nevertheless I think I've realized that you um, when you are yourself and you genuinely care for the people that you work with and you collaborate with then it doesn't really matter if you are really loud and gregarious outgoing or you do it kind of in more subtle ways I think that comes across and that's pretty universal but I will say something now that I've moved to the west coast that I've observed from the east coast is that I think there's interesting differences between how people have even just conversations where I think on the east coast people tend to interrupt each other quite a bit more mm -hmm. and we're all sort of okay with it within the uh, the context of a conversation it shows you that we're engaged mm -hmm. whereas here there's a little bit more of a pause there's more of an opportunity to wait for someone to be finished and that's something for me being a native new yorker i've had to sort of think about a little bit and say how do i make sure that someone on the receiving end doesn't feel like i'm interrupting them and they don't feel like i'm shortchanging their side of the conversation so there's always opportunities i think to observe what's going on around us thank god with all my interrupting i'm talking to you and not to somebody else <laughs> well we're used to it by now day on right so it's okay yeah, we feel safe that's with right. distance and, it's and, and the space. culture and backgrounds <laughs> so when you communicate being aware of cultural differences are you putting a personal touch in your communication and marketing and how important is it? It's, I think it's one of the most important things you can do, no matter whether you are presenting a technical paper, whether you're giving a talk, whether you are talking to students and you want to recruit them. I mean, that's a great opportunity to bring part of yourself. And again, going back to what we said about your own sort of personal branding, that's kind of what it comes down to mm -hmm. is, um, what are the things that are important to you and what makes you who you are? If you're not being yourself, then you're not being true to yourself and that's going to really come across. And so for me, I use a lot of hand gestures. So everybody that knows me when I'm on video, they know they probably have to frame the shot just in a good way so that they can actually keep my hands in the frame. Mm -hmm. um, but I do my best not to make them go too far out of the frame. Um, but that's something that's very me. And I think that me, um, I've also really found that telling 
personal stories about my experience is something that's really resonated in particular when I talk to folks that are earlier in their career, mm -hmm. when I often do like new employee orientation sessions, or I've done sessions with um, girls, you know, in STEM camps and, you know, who are looking at potentially pursuing a career in STEM fields. I try to give them examples of kind of how I've done things in my career. And actually sometimes I like to, I use pictures too. And that's something that I learned from one of my early mentors um, who just recently passed away, but I just learned that sad news. And yet she was a great example of how showing pictures mm -hmm. and telling those stories from your life helps really bring it to life for people and get them engaged and interested in what you're telling them. By the way, I hope you'll give me some pictures to include in the podcast. Absolutely. You can have as many pictures as you want. I believe we have a very talented photographer who's mm -hmm. behind the camera as well. So maybe we'll get lucky. The one who is blushing right now? That's right. She does uh, have a mask on, so we really can't tell. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned STEM, and uh, that's a great transition to inclusion and diversity. I'm especially glad you brought up example of young uh, girls. Uh, I'm father of two daughters. So I'm always interested yeah. in hearing your experience. And, how and I'm a mom of one daughter, so absolutely. You're, we're in good company here. We're compatible. That's right. You know, this is a topic that has been really timely, certainly as we kind of have evolved from all of the discussions that we've been having, I think as a society, certainly here in the US about mm -hmm. kind of the social injustice conversations, but it sort of keeps coming up and then sometimes it ebbs and flows. But ultimately, I think one of the most important things with diversity is um, you have to realize that you you have to really want it, first of all. Like as a company, you have to be really committed and say, it's not just about sort of checking a box and saying, well, we interviewed a candidate. You have to really look a little bit deeper and say, is it enough to interview one candidate among a slate of candidates mm -hmm. that, that was from an underrepresented minority or that were that was a woman and say that was enough even if they didn't get the job? It turns out if you look at the statistics, if you only have one underrepresented minority in your in your hiring group, in your slate of candidates, they have almost zero chance of getting hired for a management or higher job. If there are two or more in the slate of candidates, this is a study that was done by Harvard Business Review, they actually their, their chances increase to over 50% of being actually having the opportunity to be hired. And what that really comes down to is, is that when you start to take away the uniqueness and rather you make it more common for diversity to be a part of the hiring discussion, the promotion discussion, the overall kind of interactions in the workplace, that's when it becomes less different and it becomes something that truly becomes inclusion, right? And it becomes something that becomes very natural. And I think that's a key finding that you really have to think about and say, you have to work a little harder in the beginning to get there. Mm -hmm. But then once you do that, you start to reap those benefits because those major contrasts just won't be there in the same way. And it becomes easier and easier. And it's like a snowball effect. I think we're pretty far away mm -hmm. from that, quite honestly, in the tech industry still. But everybody has an opportunity, right? Everyone has a part to play. If I think back to when I first started doing this podcast, when we were doing it at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, one of the first seasons when we were doing the podcast, um, we asked for lots of great ideas from across the company of speakers on mm -hmm. the different topics that we had. And we got 30 names and 29 of them were men. And I said to the producers, uh, I'm not gonna do this. I am not gonna interview you know, one woman and 29 men because there's a lot of really talented women that are out there in this company who have great things to say and we wanna hear from them too. And so we went back and actually found there were plenty of women who had important things to say. Absolutely. And you, know, you look back on that season, it was better for it, right? Yeah. And I think everyone has an opportunity to do that sometimes in their careers and you just have to kind of you know, step up and do it. 
and we were honest to your initial steps. We continue. There are some amazing women that went through it. I think uh, some of them are at the top uh, of the most uh, watched uh, podcasts. You know, you guys have had a great track record with that. And, and that's what's so interesting about it, too, right, is that people do actually want to hear from different voices. And so, you know, the, yeah. the numbers speak for themselves when you have great results. You have mentioned uh, your daughter. Uh, how hard is it to maintain work-life, private-life balance? I mean, it's definitely a challenge. And I would say this year with the COVID-19 pandemic has, has made it even harder because uh, as communications professionals, this is a challenge like none other than we have ever seen in our careers, mm -hmm. right? And that is something that this is, think of it as uh, a major crisis, like a natural disaster, except it's been ongoing for six months and it's mm -hmm. still going. And so that means that every day comes with a new set of challenges and sometimes they're pretty last minute. I think it is really important as a parent or anyone who is really looking to make sure that they're carving out that personal time, even if it's just for self-care, is to schedule it in a way that is just as important as anything else that might be on your calendar. Um, certainly for me, sometimes that means that I do have to say, I'm not going to take a meeting after five o'clock. Yep. I'm going to spend that quality time with my daughter before she goes to bed. But, uh, well, we'll make a special exception just for you. But, uh, it's 5.05. That's right. Any, any minute now, I'm going to have to go. But uh, it's really important to carve that time out. And then, you know, you can accommodate afterwards. And I think it's important, um, if you are looking for that work-life balance, to also find an opportunity. If you're interested in making sure that's important to you, find a job where you are focused on the outcome of the work that you're doing and not necessarily on punching a clock. That's not always possible for everyone, but there's a lot of places where you can really lean into that. And that's a great opportunity to have balance, too. Now, I have a hard time to continue this podcast, given the time. Uh, that's OK. We'll let it go a little longer. Yeah. I'd like to end with uh, one question, and, and that is, given this podcast, how are you going to use it for marketing? Well, I'm going to use it for my personal branding, right? If we go back and we talk about it, um, I've been talking about this idea of radical transparency quite a lot this year because I'm pretty passionate about it. I think it's really important. I think it's a game changer for leaders in terms of how we communicate with our teams, with the people that work with us, the broader sort of set of employees that are in our companies. And that's really what I am working on as I kind of look ahead. I wanna make sure this message gets out there. And we really help other marketers and other brand leaders understand the power that's in this idea of being vulnerable, of showing up as a trusted and expert voice. And so that's really what it's all about for me. That's my personal branding. So I'm gonna make sure that we get that radical transparency message out there. Great. Thank you very much, Martina. Thanks so much for having me, Dayan. I hope uh, everyone uh, enjoyed it as much as I. Uh, so many personal touches, uh, examples from the real life. Uh, I hope uh, everyone can learn from this.